Hello, this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, and I am Brian Scordato. Today, we've got a really special episode. We were lucky enough to speak with Mark and Ashley Merrill. Mark is the founder of Riot Games, the maker of one of the most popular games of all time, League of Legends. The game has been wildly successful with over 8 million simultaneous players every day. And the craziest stat I've maybe ever heard, there were over 100 million people who streamed the World Championship Finals last year. Ashley is the founder of Lunia, the incredibly fast-growing sleepwear brand for women. At Tacklebox, I run interviews with our founders asking what their favorite brands are. The goal is to understand who's doing a good job connecting with their customer and then learn from them. Lunia has been mentioned in that survey more times than I can count. Ashley also runs Lago, a sleepwear brand for men, which is responsible for about 80% of my wardrobe during the current pandemic. These two know how to build businesses. They have an extraordinary knack for thinking through problems, and they each do it in pretty different ways. We had an awesome chat about that, about their perspectives on how to build a business, how to navigate uncertain times, what the role of a leader is, and the mental side of being and supporting a founder. It's easily one of my favorite conversations we've ever had, and I hope you enjoy it. And as always, if you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, let's flesh it out. If you've got a bit more time now since you're staying and working from home, let's build your startup. Head to gettacklebox.com and apply to our next virtual accelerator program starting in June. Also, due to demand, we might start a program sooner. So if you sign up to the newsletter at gettacklebox.com, you'll get alerted when we have earlier dates. Hope you're all staying safe, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Mark, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on and welcome. Thanks for having us. Good to see you, Brian. Absolutely. So I think the best place to start is just uh, explaining a little bit what you guys each do. And I thought it might be like a, a real nice curveball right off the bat to see if you guys could pitch each other's companies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would be happy to. So sure. uh, I'll tell you about Lunia first. Um, so Lunia creates sleepwear for the modern woman. And so they're a direct-to-consumer brand, uh, and Lago is their men's line, which uh, you know is a direct-to-consumer brand as well. Uh, they have three retail locations currently, and are opening more this year. But they've you know been around for about seven years and have built quite a, a loyal following by essentially creating incredible products that allow people to feel confidently comfortable when they're in their off hours, hanging out around the house. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's sort of perfect type of clothing, to your point, for this, this stay safe at home era that we are currently living in. Okay. Amazing. And then uh, Riot, Riot Games is, uh, they say, they make it better to be a player. So um, started with League of Legends, which is a MOBA-based game, super fun. Um, that is the biggest game in the world. So PC, PC game in the world, I should say. And um, until they love to say they they aspired to the S, and that was true until this year when they launched many subsequent uh, games. And so um, they've actually been kind of on a tear with that, and the timing is also pretty amazing, I would say, uh, where when people are home and looking for something to do. Uh, and they also uh, have really helped make esports what they are today, um, a really great competitive um, scene where, where people are, um, 
you know, like pro players and, and like, I don't know the stats on how many people are watching it, but one of the most watched sports. And, and so really uh, on the cutting edge of what's happening in, in PC gaming. Perfect. Amazing. You guys both nailed it. So I, I, I'm super excited to talk to you guys because each of your businesses are, are kind of uniquely positioned to shine in the current climate that we're in. It's really interesting. And we'll get into all of that. Um, but where I want to start is just a little background about when you guys met and what you were each doing at the time so we can kind of ground ourselves in uh, the later versions of you each having a company. Sure. Uh, so we met, I was uh, 19, so that was a while ago. 16 years ago? Yes. I'm 20. No, I'm 20. I'm 36. So that's more. That's 17 years ago. Oh, just reminding me how old I am. And and then uh, we've been together for probably around 13 years. And uh, we met through mutual friends, though. I was still in college. We went to two different schools. He had just finished school. And uh, we, we just we hung out as friends for a long time prior to ending up in a relationship together. And uh, there's obviously like a lot more detail in that story, but I think that's like the good high level version of it. And um, really, we got to get we got together, and really quickly after that, he ended up starting Riot. Yeah, and and moving in and to moving your in. <clears throat> one bedroom apartment with no TV and no not many windows <laughs> either. Yeah, after about eight months of dating, uh, and so you know we were both you know had very little money in the bank, and you know started working a lot. Uh, really in January of 2006, doing the nights and weekends thing with my now business partner, Brandon Beck, while we were working in our respective careers. And uh, so it was very fortunate that Ashley and I got to know each other really well as friends for you know the years prior, because uh, she got to learn that I was fun, even when <laughs> I uh, then all of a sudden wasn't really able to be very fun. He was like, I know I suck as a boyfriend, but you remember that guy that you met before I was starting the company? I'm still in here. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's funny. And that's like, that's a very real thing. So, I mean, I remember when I was starting a company, my my dating app, I was dating someone at the time and it ended pretty quickly because it was like, there just wasn't necessarily time for both. So oh, I yeah. know it's sort of throwing back into it, but do you remember some of the things that, like some of the worries or the anxieties or any stories about things that you did to to take some of the strain off the relationship maybe well i think it was was sort of interesting where you know while working full-time and trying to get a company up and running you know there'd be situations where it'd be like hey let's make some plans for saturday they'd be like oh i'd love to but i'm going to be working on this business plan all day with this guy you know and uh she's like okay um (laughs) maybe i can stop by or come over and so you know periodically we'd still find ways to hang out or spend some time I just have to jump in here and go, because I, there was definitely business work being done, but a lot of the the work was was playing. And so I'd sit there while him and his business partner would play video games. I remember sitting <laughs> on the floor, going through your mail, because you didn't check, you, he doesn't check mail, just like straight up, just refuses, which is amazing as just a, a life point, you know, but we can set that one aside for now. Physical mail is too inefficient. Yeah, he just like won't. And so he would get boxes in his... Um, room that he used as side tables full of mail. <laughs> I'm really outing him right now. He's not outing me right now. Um, and uh, so I would go through his mail, and he would play video games with Brandon. And uh, that was a really that was not the most exciting beginning to a relationship. But it helps actually establish a bit of a dynamic where uh, you know she has much better attention to detail on a lot of 
things to, to uh, move our life forward. And, you know, mm-hmm. I tend to focus on, you know, sort of the future, big picture, or, you know, building the company. And Yeah, he's very, like, hyper-focused on something. Like, you, you give him a problem to solve, and it's like, good luck I getting... I yeah. days. He'll just dive <laughs> into that, and, like, you won't hear you if you're talking to him. Like, you won't notice anything. Like, he, like it would just be like that. But, yeah, no, I'm the one that's much more, like, looking around being like, did you notice that, you know... That roof was on fire right, or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for noticing that. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to get into like the types of founders that you each are because it sounds, and I, I had this suspicion and I sort of listened to each of the podcasts over again that we had done previously. And you do have kind of a different perspective a little bit on starting a company. And I wonder if it kind of comes from some of those things. Cool. So yeah, we have a lot of problems from a pretty different perspective. You know, which which we yeah. have, we've also both learned a lot from each other. Yeah, um, which we mm. can get into as well. Yeah, and that, I, I definitely want to get into, and maybe we'll just skip right into that. I think that there's all we my outline has about thirty hours worth of stuff as normal, so we're not going to hit anything everything anyway. Um, but it did remind me of like you playing video games as your game. I, I have a distinct remember memory of like sitting on my phone swiping through various like women as my job and being like, how am I going to explain that this is actually the job? And this is not like, this is not Brian having fun. Um, I tried to retaliate because, you know, I'm in the clothing business. So I go, I have to (laughs) shopping. Like it's my business. He's cool with it though. It doesn't work that well. You know, it would be more. (laughs) I'm like, do that. That's great. I'll just answer some video games. It's going to be fine. Oh man. Um, so I guess uh, the next thing I would want to hear about is like as as Mark's company starts to grow and become a real thing, um, what are some of those inflection points where it's like, okay, you're going to leave your job and do this thing full time? And how, like, what did the conversation sound like around that? Was it very obvious that this was the next step or was it sort of a stressful thing or how did that go? And, and this was as Riot was starting to have success. And so the question's for Ash. No, I think it's for you. Like, when did you decide to leave your job? And why, what made you go, now's the time? Got it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, essentially, while working on the business plan, Brandon and I were really trying to diligence the opportunity, for lack of a better term, where we would try to talk ourselves out of it. You know, we had this idea that games, that the game industry was going to be disrupted and really transition to more of a direct-to-consumer service-based business. And we as players really felt the desire to connect with these developers that you know created these games that we love and have sort of a you know, feedback loop and a direct relationship uh, in a lot of ways to help the communities grow because we just we cared so much about it. And, um, and so to make a long story short, we were asking ourselves questions, you know, like, do we think that our plan would actually work, you know, like if we built the product that we're talking about and the way we're trying to do it, would there be an audience for this? Then we really analyzed, you know, could we attract capital to execute this idea? Uh, and then we were thinking if we could attract the capital, could we actually build a team to, to build the product and, and make it happen and, and take it to market? And when, you know, after spending nine months of uh, really doing research and putting together a business plan and, you know, we got the plan down to about 15 slides to try to tell a story to, you know, angels and, and prospective VCs eventually, and had about 180 slides or something in, in an appendix because uh, we were 24 and 25 years old and had a big credibility hurdle we needed to overcome. So we needed to be prepared and demonstrate that we we're being thorough. 
And, um, you know, once, once we had a lot of material there, we we're like, wow, we really think that there's, that this is a good idea and it's really going to come down to execution. And so we're young. So let's take, uh, let's take the risk, jump ship. Once we got enough soft commitments from angels after doing a living room tour to raise sort of a seed round. And then once that happened, we opened up our first office in September of 2006 and, uh, mm-hmm. started, started rolling. And then of course proceeded to make a million mistakes, but, um, <laughs> that's really how we got started. And how, Ashley, like, how are you thinking, uh, during this process? Were you, were you confident that this was something that would work? Did you see it as like a big risk, too big of a risk? Uh, what were you thinking? So I didn't, I don't really understand video games even to this day. I, I'm surrounded by them constantly and, and they're a part of my life. But uh, at that point, I would say I was even less acquainted with them. And so uh, I also was you know, pretty young and, and naive to how a lot of this stuff works. And so I don't really know... Like, you know, I don't think I thought, oh, this is definitely going to work at all. You know, I just didn't really know even what they were trying. I couldn't even totally comprehend what they were trying to do, to be honest, you know, like, but Mark is, uh, he's got strong, good confidence and strong self-belief. And so what I will say about him, though, is when he says, oh, I'm going to do this thing, you do kind of go like, okay, he's going to do this thing. Like, he's very convincing. And so I wasn't like, constantly worried that it wasn't going to work, but I, I just really didn't understand it, you know? And I think even then they would never have guessed it was going to be what it is now. So I think that what the market opportunity they were chasing at that time or what they thought the potential was, was much smaller. And so I think they, you know, none of us were thinking it would be like it turned out to be. I think, uh, you know, I was looking at it going, oh, that'd be cool. Maybe he'll make it like a nice video game. And that sounds great. And, you know, I just didn't, I never saw it being what it is. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and and I have a I have a question for you about that perspective that Mark has, which I think is like so fascinating, which is basically like he's trying to talk himself out of this idea, and like approaching everyone, thinking like, all right, I'm looking for things to show me that this won't work, so that mm-hmm. I don't have to do it. Um, is that how you approach 100%. entrepreneurship as well? Yeah, that's exactly my approach. I I think that really I'm cool. my own harshest critic. By the time I get something to somebody else. I have beat it up a hundred different ways. And I actually spent a long time before starting Lunia, you know, sitting on that idea and really just being, you know, almost trying to convince myself out of it also. And and just thinking this can't Hmm. be a good idea, or maybe I'm not the right person to do this because I've never been in clothing before. And, you know, I could find a hundred reasons why I wasn't the right person for it. And it really was until I couldn't convince myself that it wasn't a good idea that, you know, I, I had to say yes. It was just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. Well, and just to add some commentary around our approach early on, I think a lot of that find out why this won't work perspective was driven by my business partner, Brandon, and mm. which I greatly benefit for. And so because I'm such an optimist and because I believe we can do things, I think I fortunately had the self-awareness to also recognize I should be surrounding my, you know, myself with people who complement my gaps. Uh, both like Ashley, my wife, of course, and Brandon, my business partner, you know, who, uh, you know, I think are incredibly thorough and thoughtful and help point out lots of different reasons that things could go wrong or, or areas for us to go dive into to get better solutions for or whatnot, you know, because I was very much the, this is going to work, let's go do it, let's go make it happen uh, in the early days. And I think I benefited greatly from a partner who could complement my perspective. 
that's such an interesting mix of like almost diametrically opposed ways of thinking where it's like you need to be an optimist you need to be opportunistic but you also need to be crazy skeptical and yeah. like very data driven well and it's i used to describe yeah, it it's interesting i notice this in a marriage also but sometimes in a marriage if you find that there's attributes that the other person has you'll almost um you know like let's say if if, if he knows that i'm really cost conscious then what'll happen is he'll he'll actually move outward and get and just be like she's whatever it. you want yeah. she's got it it doesn't matter like because he feels so confident and then I'll because I'll re- I'll feel like wow he's really not like paying attention and he's really assuming I have all this then I'll move into a more conservative position and so I do mm. think when you have multiple like when you have a partnership even sometimes that the way a partnership is is set up you pick you kind of have a role that you play and I think that they did fall into those roles I actually think where it's interesting is in the case like me where I didn't have a partner, I felt mm-hmm. sometimes like I was two different people. I would I used to talk to Mark how I would look in the mirror and talk to myself. And it was like I was a crazy person. I didn't have any C team till like <laughs> six months ago. And so I was really alone with a lot of decision making. And I was trying to be both the optimist and try to find my inner Mark and then trying to be like, you know, appropriately balancing that with with sort of a, a more conservative mindset. And so I, I think that that's where, even though Mark wasn't in my business with me, he was in my ear. Like I didn't need him in my business every day to still be able to be yeah. effective in kind of seeping his optimism onto me. You know, he would just be like, mm. build it. It's going to work. No, I'd be like, go. you validate the product works. Scale. Yeah, go, go faster. Yeah, he'd be like, just do it. And I, <laughs> so it was interesting because it wasn't like I needed him in every day to be saying it. He was, every time I'd come home and I'd be like, I don't know about this thing. He'd be like, go, just do it. Faster, bigger. Well, it wouldn't be irrational. No, it's not irrational. It would be because you did this right. thing, or here's the data point which suggests, and in my experience, here's what that means, and therefore go. Right. You know, and so. No, it's, it's right. But it was like, even though, you know, and so that was kind of an interesting experience. And actually, we just took personality tests recently, um, the, the top mm. five. And um, I was surprised because I'm not, I don't see myself, I'm not usually or historically have not been an optimist, but optimism was Mark's number one. Nobody was surprised mm. there, but I was surprised <laughs> that I had optimism in my top five because, and so I think that's I've just Mark. Away at He's it. literally been chipping away. At me. <laughs> what was the tool you used for that? Was it like a Myers-Briggs? It wasn't or Myers-Briggs. Separate? It was a, um, I'll look it up. I'll find it. it. Some type of online strengths finder, but yeah, we'll, we can find the name. Cool. I'm always fascinated in those because I think it's so important as a founder to be able to be introspective and recognize what what you are so you can understand what you need. And it sounds like you're both able to do that. Well, I think I totally agree with you that I think self-awareness is incredibly important because if you don't know what you're good at, right, then how can you figure out where the gaps are to go accomplish what you're trying to accomplish? You know, a lot of the way that I sort of work or think about the world is, you know, I try to develop a really strong understanding of a particular market need, a particular customer you know, understand it from an emotional perspective, from a sort of business perspective in terms of what offerings that they have, how do they feel about these things from a motivation standpoint. And then once I feel like I've got a good grasp, work backwards to be like, all right, what would be a great solution? How do we go, you know, create a better future, better solution for this, this market? And then try to understand why is that not true? And, how, and what competencies mm-hmm. do we need to go develop in order to deliver this thing? And then just relentlessly focus on building that value chain to deliver that experience that we're trying to deliver. You know, so it's like, I can't sell something I don't believe in. 
And so the process of mm. generating that belief where I have conviction about where things need to go is thorough. And, and or you know, but the process looks different depending on different individuals. And you know, mine oftentimes is thinking about the issue deeply, reading a bunch, asking questions, helping, you know, having others do some analysis, you know, things like that. So that, so that kind of explains the optimism though, because you know that you've done your homework to an extent where you are sufficiently, you, you have a, a level of expertise that allows you to have a real opinion on something and then there's nothing left to hold you back. Then it's like, okay, if it passes all those tests, let's go for it. Yeah, generally. I mean, from when starting Riot early on, you know, I do think I had more sort of a naive optimism where I could relate deeply from an end user and player perspective <clears throat> about how the experience we're going to try to deliver to them would feel and how it manifest. But I didn't have the expertise or sort of business competency or the technical expertise to go deeply understand the how we're going to get there. But Brandon and I, I think, turned out to be great problem solvers, incredibly motivated, you know, and, and could surround ourselves with a great team and just, again, constantly iterate towards this future that we were trying to go realize. And, uh, and I think that's one of the most important things for in my experience and perspective from an entrepreneur, which is having a strong vision for what the future needs to be and why. And then to your point, hmm. complementing that with a rigorous business case about if these assumptions are true, do, does the math work? Because, you know, you can have a vision hmm. of how something could be a great experience, but the business model won't sustain a profitable you know, economic model that can sustain itself over time. And then you lose also, you know, so you really do need to have both. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's always the place where I have an advisor for me who's, who's just been incredibly valuable where I'll be optimistic about the why of something about why a customer is passionate about a problem and I'm confident I can solve it. And then there will be a business model perspective, like, like what I'm doing now with Tacklebox, where like, it, it's a very manual process, and it's not necessarily inherently scalable. And then I'll just say, well, I'll figure it out down the road. And it's been helpful to me to have someone in my ear who's always like, you know, you say you're going to figure it out down the road, but I don't, I don't think that that's good enough for starting this business, which has been valuable. So maybe that, I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking through things as you're talking, because that was an incredibly articulate example of how to start something or think through starting something and it's it's making you do me need a, think through you do box. need a high dose though of naive optimism you like you know mm. even if you ask mark now like did mark were they actually like qualified to start riot no they wouldn't have said like we were qualified but they were the right people to do it you know and and it's really weird it's, it's weird, but it's like sometimes, you know, I think and this is one of those things that gets, the, you know, people talk about um, what is that, that when imposter syndrome where you feel like, uh, you know, mm. I don't know that I'm the person that should be doing something. And it's like, well, the reality is you never feel like the person that should be able to do something until you've already done it. So there's really no way to prove things to yourself mm. until you've, you've, you know, battled through the obstacles. So like self-belief in what you're capable of is often an earned um, characteristic. And so I, I think it's one of those, it's, it's one of those things where I just caution against it. Like if, did I really know what I was signing up for with Lunia? No. Did I anticipate all the problems I was going to be faced with? No. Would I have been confident if I knew all those things that I was going to be able to overcome all those no, you know, but like some of it is just like, I have a will not to lose. 
And, and I think that's, that's really strong. And actually when I think about investing in other people, that's one of the big questions for me is around like what's motivating them and will it motivate them Mm -hmm. to push when the ball feels incredibly heavy that they're trying to push up the hill. And because that's what it's going to be. Yeah. I think that's a nice transition too, into, into the, the origins of Lunia and, and where you were at, um, both as like a family and as uh, like where your head was at in terms of, all right, this is a business I need to start. Um, I know the origin story is sort of famous in that you were, you were pregnant at the time and had this epiphany. Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that moment. And then we can talk through um, the realities of, of, of starting Lunia. Yeah. I mean, so origin story aside, I think there was an aspect of, you know, Mark had been really killing it at Riot for quite a while. I think it was around six years or so. And um, I think you mean killing myself. Killing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Killing himself. But I meant like really, you know, he, he was really working hard and having great results and that was really going well. And I think at a certain point I looked to him and I, I was like, I, I want that for myself. I want to care so deeply about mm. something the way you do and that it like drives me out of bed in the morning and I wake up at night thinking about it. And and so in some ways, uh, seeing him have that experience became, you know, I think I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I definitely like that, that had always been not even an entrepreneur, but I'd always been interested in business. Um, I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. I think I thought, oh, it could work for somebody else's startup, but I I knew I wanted to have passion and internal drive towards something the way he did. And so at a certain point I looked to him and was like, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm, I don't know what it's going to be. And I had uh, taken, I was, uh, I had resigned at my last job cause I was about to start business school. And we both knew that I was going to be going back into work, you know, either by starting something of my you know, during business school or by linking up with somebody else or finding a startup, uh, something of that nature. So that was sort of the long-winded way of saying, I didn't really know where I was going to fall, but I knew that I wanted to feel deeply um, and spend my time working Mm. towards building something. That's awesome. That's a real driver for a lot of people starting companies is to have that feeling of purpose. And so, so you decide that this is a path you want to take. Um, where did the idea for Lunia come from? Okay, so um, I got the idea because I could relate to it personally. I was wearing Mark's old clothes around the house. Um, it was not my best look. I uh, actually, mm-hmm. it's funny because I wore it every single day, never thought a thing about it. And then, you know, for whatever reason on this one day, I looked at my reflection and, and was like, "What? what's going on here, you know? And, um, and realized that I just wanted to be comfortable and I didn't want to put a lot of time into the, the, you know, whatever, choosing the outfit I was going to wear around the home. And you love being cozy. I, I love being cozy. I, I, we, Mark and I talk about this actually within our relationship that he never had cozy clothes before me. And I, I remember just being like, how is that possible? He's like, well, I had jeans and then I had like slacks. And I was like, right. how or is cargo that? shorts or pants or something like that. Yeah. Don't say yeah. that on public it's now documented stop it stop it i've been trying to bury those like they're they're out back in a hole yeah so i was just wearing this this kind of hideous thing and and then i was thinking much more about you know what would it mean if i had something that i felt like 
this comfortable and yet still felt like I had it, I was put together and started looking for other people that might be solving the problem already. My, my initial reaction was not, Oh, I'm going to start a company. It was like, let me get some better clothes. And then when I went out looking for something that would better solve the problem, there just really wasn't something out there and started, you know, asking my friends what they're wearing in the house, realizing we were all wearing old hand-me-downs. It's, we sort of have a joke at Lunia that it's like, well, how else would you know I ran a 5K 10 years ago? You know, it's like, <laughs> those are the, like we all have that shirt. And so really, um, it kind of sent me on this journey to go, wow, what would it mean not only to make something that looks better and, makes, and thus makes you feel better, but then also functions incredibly well for sleeping, which is actually like a really important part of our wellness routine, which I think we're only, you know, and this was eight years ago. Um, but at that time, you know, was sort of early conversations around that. But at this point in time, everybody's very much accepted that, of course, just as much as you need to go work out and eat healthy, you need to sleep well. And so uh, realizing that, wow, there's such an opportunity here to enhance what this time of day me- means for people. Yeah. And, and so I guess the big question then is like, how do you how do you even start? What's the first thing that you did, and how yeah how do, how do you start to validate? I that? mean, it started like Mark mentioned before with a lot of me discouraging myself of going, "This isn't a good idea. I'm not capable of this idea. The last thing the world needs is another clothing company." You know, I, I could think of a million reasons not to do it. I was in I was in no I hadn't really started business school yet. That was when I was like I was mulling over this idea because right when I started business school. That was when I went, shoot, this is a good idea. I, like I shouldn't, I should do it. And so really, you know, and, and I think I mentioned this t- to you before, but it really took me getting pregnant to finally go, actually, like I should do this because the risk of not doing it just felt a lot more than, than the risk of doing it and failing. Right, it's not like time would ever get better. Yeah, exactly. Like I kind of needed mm-hmm. that added pressure because otherwise it's really easy to keep kicking things down the road. Um, and, and like I said, I wasn't married to being an entrepreneur. I wasn't going, oh, I have to start something. Some people are like, I just want to start something no matter what it is. I was just as fine finding something else that I, I just wanted to care about what I was doing. And I think I thought maybe I'll end up joining somebody else's startup. And, and uh, so it was just when I couldn't shake the idea that I realized, you know, this has to happen. First step, uh, yeah. after I convinced myself, which actually took forever, <laughs> um, but after I convinced myself, <laughs> I sort of started vocalizing it to other people. Hey, I have this dream of, you know, making sleepwear that is actually comfortable and you feel great in and functions really well for purpose. You know, what do you think about that? And sometimes just putting your dreams out there, it's amazing how many people actually want to support you, or at least maybe I'm just like so lucky. And I know I, it's probably a combination of both, um, that, that oftentimes when I would tell people, they'd be like, I know this person, you should chat with them. And Oftentimes that mm. wasn't the right connection, but it would help you it'd get you to the next step. And then that person would kick you to the next person. And so it was really a process of being vulnerable with our, my idea and, um, and my vision and then being um, saying yes and, and meeting everybody that I could. And, and then just really building a, a network and trying to understand how the industry worked. And it went it kind of the ball rolled on from there. Yeah. The more I do these interviews with founders, the more it's becoming clear that the archetype of like the mad scientist sitting in the basement, thinking something up and then three years later launching it is just not the way these things go. Um, It's like the faster you can speak with as many people as possible about the idea, the faster you're going to get the feedback that will help you iterate. And and just getting Um, started, right? I think 
to your point, putting one foot in front of the other, start to go do things, um, start to get momentum. It's really, it's really, really important because otherwise you can sit there and have analysis paralysis forever. Lunia was actually Ash's third business idea. The first two I thought were great also. And mm. I kept telling her, go do those, you know, go do that. And then she'd always be like, no, that no, didn't make sense. And then other people would go do those businesses you know, the next like two to three years. And so I guess that was a good idea. That was actually helpful for me though, because I think you always are, or at least with my personality type, I'm always inclined to be like, oh, someone's already thought of this or it's not a good idea or whatever. Um, But then as uh, I would come up with ideas and then watch other people execute them, I was like, actually, that must've been a good idea. And so maybe I should trust my gut a little bit more. And I mean, that's so much what entrepreneurship or even leadership is. Like you don't start out with, or I, I didn't start out with a lot of confidence. I think over time, I've proven to myself that I can continue to be the kind of person that I can have confidence in. So what's weird is my self-belief and self-confidence has come only from overcoming the obstacles. So, you know, it makes sense that you don't start out feeling like, wow, every idea I have is amazing. When I think a lot of entrepreneurship to that point is it's really about mindset in it where you see a problem in the world or a gap or something that's maybe frustrating. And rather than complaining about it or just getting frustrated or externalizing blame, being look at how bad this thing is or why this company is terrible or why this government, hmm. you know, is just a problem. You think, huh, that's interesting. I wonder if there's a better way to do this and, and how how convinced are, am I that my perspective is actually right, that this actually is pretty suboptimal? And then if it's suboptimal, what could I do to potentially change it? And what would great look like? You know, it's a series of questions. And it, this, to me, it's inevitably tied to optimism because it's about having a can-do attitude of, and the belief of there is a better way of doing things. And then the puzzle is how to go figure out how to create that reality. And often, you know, certain things are much more complex, you know, and, and it depends on sort of the nature of the problem. But a lot of times there's certain, like the way that something is manifesting in a particular industry or a particular product, it's, it's just, there's not great reasons as to why it hasn't been solved. And maybe it's because somebody hasn't really had that epiphany and then, or been motivated to go really try to tackle it. And so you can be really surprised if when you start pushing against where this opportunity is, how other people can get excited about it and, and start to, it can, you can start to build momentum. And I think that's how a lot of human progress has evolved over the history of our species. Yeah, it, it reminds me of something that um, I spoke with the founder a week or two ago that was basically saying that a, a guy who, really interesting guy, he's a, a German guy who started a company, a number of companies, his most recent is called Vejo. Um, oh, it's I a, know. a personalized supplement I industry. Know yes, do you I know do. It? I have a friend that works there. Oh, nice. Yeah, he, he's like a fascinating, fascinating guy. And he was basically talking about, I think this is his fourth company. And he was like, each of the companies I've started, people were like, oh, there's a problem, but it's not solvable. And he just worked on getting to the first principles of the problem and like figuring out what are all the assumptions that people are making about this industry and then making sure he tested each of those assumptions to make sure they were actually as like the way that people thought they were. And in almost every case, they weren't. And he was able to like lower the cost of freeze-dried fruit and like all of these things that led to businesses that were in plain sight, but like unattainable by people who hadn't recognized that the assumptions that everything was built on were kind of kind of outdated or not true. Yeah, I think it's a great framework and a great way to articulate it. Cool. Um, so, so Lunia is started. I'm curious as to 
I, so sort of both businesses are going simultaneously, which like stresses me out enough just saying that sentence. But I'm wondering, one, like, how did you guys figure out time management and how did you start to handle two founders in one household, both working, I imagine, obscene hours? And like, was was there an operating system that you guys leaned on or created? Or uh, I'm just curious as to how it all worked. Well, one of the things that became pretty evident early on before uh, Lunia was started by Ash was I was constantly wrong about how much time and effort it would take. And so mm-hmm. you'd be asking, hey, when can we go do X, Y, Z? Or let's let's make a plan about you know how we're going to spend more time or whatever. And I'd be like, absolutely. And in two weeks, once we finish you know this particular project, mm-hmm. things are going to be so much better. And I literally said that for several years. And she would always make fun of me being like, two weeks, two weeks. And it really became this you know, sort of this meme that we then recognized, okay, that there's an infinite amount of work where the needs always go up and that's never going to end. And mm-hmm. therefore we need to start thinking about doing things differently. And what do we do from that standpoint? And that that's when we started to, and I would say we, I mean, Ashley and I together started to think about, you know, time management and, you know, more deliberately and thinking about prioritization. And, you know, at the company, there was just, there were always things that were breaking, always, people I needed to go meet, always relationships I needed to invest in more, always different teams I needed to go support, you know, ideas that needed to be, you know, polished. But there's just an infinite amount of, of work. And so eventually by starting to really prioritize and think about what really matters the most and what areas of the company or the business really require me and act like where I can add unique and disproportionate value compared to being able to delegate it and maybe oversee and check in periodically, it has started to formalize that more over time. Uh, and I was fortunate, mm-hmm. one, have a great business partner, and two, you know, had, had built an incredible team over time. But we were also in a rapidly scaling business. And so, again, it's like everybody's job would get twice as big every six months, which created mm-hmm. a, an awful lot of challenges. And in the meantime, I'm like, but I, I love my wife and we, you know, we need to nurture this relationship and this really matters. And so how do we start to balance it? And I think it's just it's a really complex problem. And I think step one was recognition just like it is with solving any problem. And then step two is working together on various solutions and then implementing certain things and then testing and iterating over time. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that we were flawless at that. Uh, you know, I think it was probably many years until started to get into some type of reasonable balance where I think the allocation towards personal life was getting healthier. Um, and that came at a time probably you know, after Ash started Lunia. As well, so then all of a sudden she was sucked into the vortex of infinite demands, and you know where she's responsible for everything that does and doesn't happen. So unless she built the team and you know was able to go make progress and figure out the manufacturing pipeline and iterate on the product, nothing would happen. And so you know that became a situation where we really needed to you know start to schedule things like date night and reserve our weekends and and just really try to time box things because otherwise it would, there would be an infinite amount of pull to go respond to emails in the middle of the night or go on whatever we needed to work on. We're, and we're still struggling with that. I would say like it's better now mm. than it was, but it's not like we've come up with some kind of silver bullet on that one. I think uh, it's it's a moving, um, like a, your needs are changing all the time and um, balance is an ever evolving word, you know? And so I, I think for us, we're tr- we try to create some sense of like, yeah, we don't take our phone out when we're, you know, like at dinner time or we're, you know, doing things that are more family oriented activities. If he and I are on a walk and he pulls out his phone, I'll get annoyed at him. 
And so I think like we have these kind of little moments where we like say these are the things that we do and don't think are okay. Well, and that manifests in, in certain ways. So, you know, we both try to exercise and we try to, you know, at least semi-regularly. She's better at that than I am. You know, I, I tend to be, con- rel- she's really consistent and I'm, uh, I go through spikes where I'm incredibly consistent and very intense. And then I, you know, sort of back off a little bit, then I get back into it. Uh, you know, I do yoga once a week. Uh, you know, there, over the last, you know, 10 years or so, there's been this course, whole pool of thought and dialogue and discussion around mindfulness and being present and things like that, which of course we've read books about and talked about and talked to individuals about and listened to podcasts that reference it. And so we've been trying to adopt a lot of those philosophies and, you know, it's just things are always easier said than done. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to Ash's point, I think we, we still feel like we're always a work in progress mm-hmm. on that, but we look at ourselves always as a work in progress. Yeah. We look at our relationship as a work in exactly. progress, our companies are a work in progress. And, you know, and I think that's, that sort of stems from having a bit of a growth mindset. Yeah. Which by the way is, is tricky because I think, you know, oftentimes the growth mindset thing comes from a deep sense of like desire to be a perf- perfectionist, right? We're, we're constantly evolving because we're optimizing to be better, better, better towards some like fictitious, amazing perfection that doesn't really exist. And so that doesn't make for the most contented mindset. And I think that we've become more aware of that in the past couple of years. And one of the things that I remember saying to Mark is, as sometimes I need you to just accept that I'm going to be suboptimal in these areas, because what was killing me was I was in huge growth patterns at work with lots of pressure, as an example, um, at the office. And then if I'd come home and I'd get a lot of feedback about needing to optimize my relationship and I'd be like, there's nowhere for me to run. I need to escape all of the feeling like I'm never good enough. And so I think what, and, and that, that goes both ways. I'm not saying this is just a, a, a me thing, but I think this is where it's, it's a, you know, when you love somebody, there has to be a give and take with it. And you're trying to understand, you know, is this temporary? Where's their heart at? Do I think that, you know, they want the same thing? Yes, exactly. Are we still aligned? Committed. Yeah. And you, you sometimes just have to have patience with people. And um, if you believe that the underlying motivations and values are still there, you know, I think we had to think we've had to cut each other a lot of uh, slack. But a lot of that, I think, also revolves around people needing to be able to acknowledge and care about how the other person feels and what the other person mm-hmm. wants, and then a genuine commitment to working on or fixing or changing or evolving over time, and then recognizing that, again, you're both going to make mistakes and not be perfect, and you know, which is just a difficult thing, especially when we're the, I think, both of us are the types of personalities that have incredibly high expectations for ourselves. And so it, it sort of you know, oftentimes manifests in terms of high standards for others. You know, it, but we're also deeply devoted to each other. And so then there's a question of at what point should you lower the standards and across what dimensions and what does this look like? And, and it's just this, you know, ever evolving relationship that needs to be dynamic to adjust to the context of the day and the situation. It's really fascinating stuff because as you mentioned, this stuck out to me, but there's infinite work for both of you at all times. Like there is, you're doing this podcast, you could be doing something else. You could be doing a hundred different things. There's no off switch. There's infinite passion. There is infinite expectations. And then there are like these finite moments in time where you're going to have to block everything out and try and be present. And I think, yeah, I think it's a really, I'd struggle with it constantly. And that was going to be one of my questions, but I'm not sure it's even answerable. But like, if you've said that you're blocking off something, 
something that I struggle with in my life is I never actually have anything permanently blocked off that doesn't work because there's always something work related or tackle box or podcast related that could like supersede it, which is a tough way to live. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any tips or thoughts around like holding something totally precious or like, I, I don't even, I don't, I, I think you guys know what I'm saying. Yes. I, I, I think, um, yes, I, I would say I, I'm decent at setting time aside. Like as an example, I book out my workouts at noon. I work out every day. Even my team knows like that's not an optional mm. meeting. That is like, I'm doing that, you know? And so, mm. and I leave work at six, like they know that. So I, I will say some of it is, you know, you do have to create frameworks. And then if people see, it's just like, I mean, the analogies to parenting are very strong. Like if you parent a kid and you say like, clean up your toys, but you don't follow through with it. Ultimately, they just think like you don't care if they leave their stuff everywhere. At the end of the day, it's sort of the same way at the office. Like you have to set boundaries. And for me, I have to say, you know, I'm working out at lunch. I actually invite a lot of my team to work with me, work out with me. And so that's been become like a really nice team building thing, but they know I'm gone. And then they also know that I I leave to get home with my kids at six and, and I stick to it. And so I've created a system that they know isn't very flexible. Um, and mm. I think that's important because otherwise people don't know, is this one of those things that like... Right, it feels arbitrary. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, and or people could get frustrated, like, hey, they're not responsive, well, you know, for this thing that yeah. is important. Or... I, I think it's like every relationship, right? People, if they have clear understanding of like, what are expectations and what do you need and what's happening, they're kind of okay with it. And I think part of it is being really clear. And for me... The way I think about this, and I don't know if I said this when we did the last podcast, but you know, I do have this sort of pie graph metaphor for life. And for mm. me, it doesn't have to always be optimized for all of my segments at every point in time. But I look at it from a macro perspective and think like, what are those key segments that I want to see in my my graph? And you know, family is going to be a big one. Uh, health is going to be another one. Relationship with my husband, with my friends. Uh, you know, I want a sense of accomplishment with my job, feeling of giving back to community. Like, let's just say there's all these, um, these aspects and, and I have some sense of how big those should be. And so I do kind of have to check in with it often and, and make sure that that's still feeling like I'm, I'm living my truth. Well, and one of the things that I feel grateful for as I've aged, you know, I'm 39 now, and just, you know, been through more experiences, having kids, getting married, building a company, having lots of different challenges and lots of criticism from a ton of dimensions is, um, you know, I, I've sort of been through some significant ups and downs, which helps create perspective. Uh, I think that's really positive towards not being overly attached to a thing or a particular outcome. And I really struggled with that most of my life. Uh, and I still do to a certain extent, but like on the carometer on the spectrum of sort of one to 10, I was probably a 12 out of 10 for riot, you know, up until maybe about a year and a half ago where, and I think it was sort of unhealthy and manifested even negatively for the team sometimes, where I'd be sort of obsessed over certain details that kind of didn't matter, or, you know, because I was getting somewhat burnt out or, you know, exhausted in certain dimensions, I could lose my temper around certain things. And that, you know, that's not being your best self. And as we've, you know, brought in a new CEO and elevated leadership team and all that, and I've transitioned to chairman you know, I've plugged back into the business in a lot of interesting ways. And I think I've gotten enough space to one, help that leadership team be very successful and, and have their own you know, sort of approach. But then also, and more importantly, I've been able to 
detach a little bit to get some perspective to to just live a healthier life. And so now when I'm engaging at work or at home, I think I'm just better because I'm more present, I'm more thoughtful, I'm less I just have been, I was redlining for such a long sustained period of time that I I realized I had limits and it wasn't sustainable. And you know, things were starting to break. And so I just think it's really important for people to once you realize that and sort of know where your limits are, in my experience, it was a powerful catalyst to start being more effective and, and find different solutions to be better uh, in other areas of your life that really matter. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is funny. I and never hit my limits before um, until I had kids. I remember just being like, hmm. yeah, pack more onto my back. I'll just like carry it up the hill. I just remember feeling like there is, there's nothing I can't just, just brute force, brute force yeah. through. And um, it's a sobering moment when you realize that you have limits, but it's also healthy because then you can move forward. You can understand like, actually I do have limits. I am, I am a human <laughs> and there's going to be a limit to what I can do. And, and then you, you can create a new path. Yeah. And it sounds like you can then do something that Mark mentioned earlier that I sort of scribbled on my notepad, which is like, find what your unique disproportionate value is and make sure that you're spending the majority of your time on that. Right. And not on putting out fires that other people could potentially do. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly you know with my sort of role reallocation at the company, I'm really able to go focus on the future or you know things that are really ambiguous and hard, but sort of the next chapters and and um, or aligning the whole company around again these difficult to execute ambiguous things, and and I really enjoy that, and and mm. and that's. So it's just working out for everybody. And a lot of the things that other people can do incredibly well and oftentimes better than me, they're better suited for. And so it's, you know, yep. so far it's working out really well. And what you were saying kind of reminds me of, um, I read something about Jerry Seinfeld the other day, the other day that cracked me up. He has a picture from the Hubble telescope on his desk. And he said whenever, when he was writing Seinfeld or whatever, when he, whenever he started getting overwhelmed or thinking that what he did mattered, he would look at that and recognize like how small and insignificant he was. Sure. And he said that was like very freeing then to just kind of relax and do the work. Carl Sagan, um, pale blue dot. Yeah. It's actually, through a void. it's one of those things that in amidst the coronavirus, I went back to reading my uh, Homo Deus book because mm. it is one of those helpful things to so just let me pull out for a second and realize that this is just, this is still small in the scope of what you know humanity is. Yep, absolutely. And that's the perfect transition to what I wanted to talk to next, which is this massive elephant sitting in the back of all of our rooms, which is coronavirus and what's going on right now. I just so I recently recently read a book called Anti-Fragile, which was pretty interesting about yeah. companies or products that thrive during times of disorder. How do you how are you each approaching this from the perspective of like one manning managing a team that's going to have to immediately be remote to potentially having to lay off people tough having to make tough decisions and trade-offs and where are your guys minds at right now? Well, uh, one sort of funny thing that Mark and I say is we're both in the clothing business. It's just his is digital. Um, turns <laughs> digital is a little more anti-fragile. Yep. Um, so I would say in some ways it's probably impacted me a lot more. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Um, probably hands maybe positively in the end, but um, mm. I would, I would say we were lucky in a lot of ways. I'm lucky in that we have the right product for people staying in home. I'm lucky sure. that we're digital first. So we have really good competency there. Um, and uh, I have a small team and, and I think that I was never part of the um, took in huge funding and had to do the crazy growth 
type of thing because mm-hmm. then I think you would be sitting in a position of high fixed costs mm-hmm. and an un- inability to wind yourself out of it. I will tell you though that um, even with all that said, I've had to furlough a, a portion of my team. We've taken pay cuts. We've, I have done layoffs in the retail sector. And mm-hmm. so none of that was stuff that I could escape from. That was a really, you know, that was two, I want to say two weeks ago for us. And that was brutal week. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is so unprecedented, of course, but usually when you're laying people off, it's because your business is failing and you assume you're going to lay people off and they're going to go back into the workforce, find another job. And, and so we're in this, I, I was, I, I didn't even know how do I handle this because I've got people that I'm going to have to lay off that are great, competent people that I would want to keep working with, but I can't mm. afford to. Um, and I don't think they're going into a market where they're going to get a job. And so a lot of our research that we did in order to get comfortable with it is how can we create whatever we think would be the best scenarios for people to maximize their take home, you know, using um, unemployment or um, maintaining benefits. And and so we did a lot of work on that end uh, to try to set people up as best we could. But as a leader, I don't help anyone if I run my business into the ground right now, because then there's no jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the people, even my team that's on furlough, they want to come back and they're pulling for us. And so what we call, we, we actually named our team that is um, still active right now, the Lean Mean Lunia Machine. And they feel <laughs> an incredible sense of responsibility because they know that their friends are relying on them to get the business through this period of time so that they can have their jobs back. That's, that's the unfortunate reality of, of where we're at. Um, And the other thing that happened, which is, by the way, not coronavirus related, but um, is that the the financial markets, which had created the um, the like huge funding boom and thus the huge growth expectations. You know, I think we saw that in Casper and we saw that, you know, you've seen it in Away and Outdoor Voices and um, I mean, Uber. You can think of all these businesses where the focus was only on growth, not on is this a um, is this a sustainable business? And I think you know what we're looking at is the the world shifted. You know, overnight those those public offerings didn't do well anymore, and now everybody's uh, focus was on profitability. And are you break even? Are you sustainable as a business? And so that was already kind of happening, and then this happened. And so we were shooting to be break even this year because we need to be break even this year. We're making enough revenue where we don't think it's uh, reasonable for us to not be break even. And then we had our top line revenue cut. So, mm. you know, these are the decisions nobody wants to make. It sounds like there is, uh, like, that is true leadership, what you just described that you've done. Like, that is incredibly impressive. And I can't commend you more for that. Like, that is the, ex- seems like the exact right, best possible approach. And did you end up having to change your stomach? Oh my gosh, there was a day. So the other thing that's crazy is amidst all of this unprecedented stuff that's going on, you know, we were trying to determine if safer in place meant that our warehouses were going to have to shut down because that's a whole nother scenario. Like at least right now we're digital and we can fulfill. So we were at this place where I was talking to people being like, if I get a U-Haul, will you come with me in the middle of the night and we can load everything up and we'll drive to a different state and try to fulfill out of a different state? I mean... Because the second you don't have fulfillment, you don't have a business. Um, and yep. so that was also a really scary one. I'm lucky in that I, I, my warehouse was part of the exempt list. And so we do get to keep fulfilling. But, you know, you're looking at decisions. 
this this kind of decisions are happening overnight. I'm I'm hearing it on the news at the same time my employees are hearing it and having to react in real time. And everybody's calling me, being like, "What does this mean?" And I'm like, "Well, let me go try to figure it out." And um, and so anyway, it's I uh, you know doing the best we can. That's it. Yeah, and there's a there's a whole separate podcast I'd love to have on retail venture backed like whether that should be happening period or not. Um, we can do that another time. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, Mark, what about you? How, how is, how has your role as a leader changed in the face of the coronavirus? Well, the, the, the thing that's, that is a, again, a luxury on, on my part is, you know, I, I don't run the day-to-day operations now. So, you know, Nicola Rent is the CEO of Riot and, you know, we've got a great leadership team in place and we've been prepared for sort of disaster scenarios or, mm. or you know, in because of our, we have, we have a great leader, a guy named Chris Himes, who runs our information security team and sort of our, like our IT infrastructure is pretty close to like a CIO. And um, it, because we're knowledge workers, generally speaking, the ability for us to transition to work from home went relatively smoothly. So around the world, you know, we had to first do that in China, then we had to do it in Korea, you know, we had to do it in different markets around the world, knew it was going to be coming to the US and to Europe and things like that. And so uh, we're able to kind of get in front of a lot of the necessary preparations to go ensure our teams could be productive from mm-hmm. home. And, you know, we had about, we have about 98% of people working from home wow. and, you know, we had made the decision because, you know, our business is generally up because people are home spending more time playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's down in what we call PC bong markets. So both Korea and China, where a significant percentage of gaming hours for PCs are played at land cafes mm-hmm. where, you know, physical retail that people rent a machine because people can't gather because a lot of times people don't have computers at home mm. in those markets. And so, but again, the net effect is this is kind of a positive thing for the business in the short term. Our velocity on longer term projects and development has slowed. Uh, but, you know, because we're also, we've got a robust balance sheet and things like that. Our perspective was how do we help? Um, so how do we go do donations? You know, we've donated about $4 million around the world for COVID relief. Wow. Uh, we've been you know, working on sourcing masks from China, given our parent company relationship there and sort of our big penetration in the Chinese market and expertise. Uh, and so, you know, our perspective is how do we dig in and help? And we're keeping all of our staff, uh, including contractor staff for our kitchen, you know, and or uh, janitorial staff and, you know, facility staff all around the world uh, employed as well. And, um, you know, the thing that is that we're, you know, we don't have any solution for is for, you know, parents, uh, you know, dual working parents, that now have kids out of school that don't have a childcare solution because nobody can come visit each other because they're quarantined and whatnot. You know, their velocity, of course, from the ability to work from home remotely effectively has been hammered pretty hard. And so, um, you know, and we're just trying to be understandable in, in that way and understanding and trying to help train our managers about best practices. And, you know, and it, so I think it's one of the positives of crisis is it's also an opportunity for people to come together and support each other. And that's really what Riot's been focused on and, and rioters. And so, you know, even frontline employees have been trying to stream or do various things to help our community and, and um, you know, raise money or raise awareness for certain things. And, you know, it's obviously there's tragedy all around, but there are some silver linings. And part of the silver lining is some people are spending more time with family or at home. And, you know, Ashley and I have had some beautiful moments with our children, you know, while here, where we're all kind of working together in our respective areas where they're doing remote school in the playroom while Ashes in her office and I'm in my office. And then we come together for family meals way more often than we've ever done before. Well, and I mean, so that's, that's a, that's a positive. Although, you know, we're also, 
the sensitive that many people are having in a much worse situation. So then the question is, how can we help? Yeah. help? I think the other thing is it's going to be forcing us to le- learn new competencies. And we were talking about this before, but, you know, I used Zoom before, but not on a frequent basis. It always felt a little complicated to me, but now I'm good with Zoom mm. and I'm good with Google Hangouts and I can use these things. And so likely, you know, in the quest for a silver lining, we will, we will see that our ability to be flexible um, on location, on timing and all of that could, could theoretically open up and create new opportunities for us. Yeah, it's, it's really two great examples of leadership from each of you separately. Really, really like incredible stuff. Um, and I totally agree on the, on there is opportunity here. I've had a lot of our founders from Tacklebox who have businesses that weren't necessarily all virtual reach out with ridiculously creative things they're either doing to work with uh, their employees or to work with their customers. Uh, constraints always create really interesting options. So Necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah, we're, we're having the fun process right now going, what would retail look like if it, you know, if, if there wasn't a physical location? Sure. And so it's getting our creative juices flowing, that's for sure. Very cool. I want to be thoughtful of your guys' time. Did you guys want to do one of those let's start a company options? Did you think through that? So one thing that was interesting is when I read through the questions and I thought, even if I just thought, what happens if Mark and I both hold our company? You know, would we start another business? Mm. And interestingly, I don't feel any motivation to do that. Huh. Uh, and I think that Mark and I have, I mean, I would say that Lunia, I was motivated to solve the problem. And Mark was mm. motivated to create this game that he wanted to play. We weren't arbitrarily like the kind of people that would self-identify as serial entrepreneurs. We're not like, mm. cool, we finished that one. Let's do it again. I think it was mm. like, we found a problem that we were passionate about solving. And so that was what we were going to do. I think, you know, to be honest, if we both sold our company, uh, we would do a lot of nothing for a while, or we would like the idea that maybe we would get to do a lot of nothing. Now, nothing for us would still be stuff. We just, we have a lot of hobbies and interests and, you know, Mark loves gaming and would still be around gaming and instrumental in Riot. And I can't even imagine a world where he like wouldn't care about that anymore. But, um, but yeah, I don't know that for us, and maybe Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't know that I see us like, would we jump into something? Well, I think what we can never undo is the perspective that I think we both developed about how to look at the world. And when we see problems, the belief that we can go contribute to making things better and improving things. And so we, we both constantly do that anyway. Like we built a family office, which essentially is a business. And that family office is... You know, it does a couple things. You know, we're investing in startups and trying to help you know different entrepreneurs go tackle interesting problems and, and make the world better in different ways. You know, we're doing a lot philanthropically uh, and also on the political philanthropy side, where we're trying to help improve our the way our government functions. You know, this COVID crisis is a, a perfect example of how dysfunctional our government is, which and there's really no excuse for it. And you know, so when the Republicans and Democrats want to play politics rather than solve problems, people suffer. Now there's millions of people are going to die not to mention the tremendous economic cost for a completely preventable thing that was a mathematical certainty. It's literally absurd, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, And so, you know, because Ash and I, we care about the world, we care about our communities, we care about issues, you know, things like that. I could, we definitely want to constantly help move the ball, but taking an operating role again to go be the entrepreneur who goes and builds a business, we definitely would need space or time and recover. And, you know, in my particular case, I've kind of had two years now, or almost two years, of not being CEO, having more flexibility, having more space, 
and you know my involvement has ebbed and flowed a little bit and it's it's but I'm, it's really back in in a significant way where i'm helping to sort of build a new portion of the business that is going to be an important part of the next frontier but it's just in a very more balanced way right where you know it's just different than it was when it was when we were first time entrepreneurs and and i don't know that balanced approach does work if you're an entrepreneur Mm. i think entrepreneur is an all-in business you know i i do think that and and that's where when we talk about who we're investing in and and I'm looking to people going, is that a person that can't lose because they won't let themselves lose? Are they that committed to it? It's an all-in mentality. And so I don't know that we would be able to go start something else and be the, the chief operators just because, I mean, if well, we're cats. Without the fire in the belly. Right? Yeah, that's and- what I mean. But if we're like cats, we've used up a lot of our lives kind of. I think it's <laughs> been a pretty... It's an amazing process, but a bit of a painful process. And I also don't think we have the same willingness to sacrifice personally as we were willing to do before. We now have kids and, and we are, uh, we've recognized the toll that this has taken on our relationship and um, on our own mental well-being. And so I do think at a certain point, you're either like, I just want to keep doing it because I'm a glutton for punishment and I just, you know, <laughs> I just get so much out of it. Um, but I think for us, it's like, I don't know that I would just keep signing up for that. It, it, well, it, there's it, ways to be involved and support other people. Like, I think that's where NACO 3 is really exciting for us is we can support other entrepreneurs who have the fire in the belly, who want that chance to go prove themselves, and who are going to tackle the big problems of the world. Well, and I think, so I agree with what Ash is saying. I just think that the, the one aspect that I think is difficult to account for that I think COVID helps demonstrate to a certain extent is the, the call to serve. You know, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think we both can relate to that to different extents, you know, but I definitely feel a responsibility to help improve society in different ways. And one of the ways that, again, my optimist in me and self-believer, you know, as part of these, this test that, uh, that we referenced earlier, you know, I, I feel like I'm being selfish if I'm not actively helping to push the rock up the hill. And that's, that's a perspective I need to manage because to Ash's point, this goes to prioritization. Well, to what extent am I willing to go invest in supporting everybody else in community and things like that versus ensure, you know, like building an incredible relationship with our children, you know, and being a great spouse and things like that. And that's, that's where I think so many, whether entrepreneurial couples or, or professional couples probably really struggle is managing that dynamic. But, um, you know, I, so I think we're still working through that, but to us, we definitely, or I wouldn't go start something unless the need felt really significant and it was worth the sacrifices in all the other areas of our life that matter so much as well. And then it would be a joint decision where this is something we'd have to work through together and be on the same page about. And, um, you know, cause it's not all about me. I actually think that's a tremendous answer to the, the questions that I was going to ask around starting the next company. And I think it, it'll be really helpful for founders who are to really understand what the true toll of an entrepreneur is on your life and your family and all that. And it, it's funny as you were talking, I always kind of get a kick out of investors who say that they're much more likely to invest in second or third time entrepreneurs. And it's kind of like, I get that, but I also know kind of what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. And I can't fathom people doing it three times. Um, For sure. It's it's kind of an interesting thing. And obviously there's different kinds of entrepreneurship. I think you could have like a small business that's potentially more of a lifestyle business. Uh, I just, I don't know that either of us really know how to do that. Well, yeah. And, you know, if you're Katzenberg and, you know, and Meg Whitman and you go partner together to go start this massive 
disruptive media company, you know, that, mm-hmm. and you're raising a billion dollars, you know, then it's super helpful to have this incredible, you know, amount of experience with that because certain approaches I do think require different types of expertise and perspective and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a rarity. Whereas I think that, you know, in many cases it's, it is probably somewhat, you know, ideal that the future can be created by somebody with virtually no experience, like Zuckerberg and the team that created Facebook or, you know, the Google founders and, and whatnot. And, and that's just because they're so close to a problem. They're so passionate. They don't know any better. They keep driving on a particular problem relentlessly. And then, oh my God, they create magic. And then they figure out how do we go scale this thing and hold on to the rocket ship. And, you know, and I think a lot of innovation is going to continue to be driven from that type of perspective. Mm. You know, and, and I think that one opportunity is, of course, for big organizations, and this has long been an, you know, the same opportunity, of course, but to you know, try to foster environments where entrepreneurs can thrive. You know, and so whether it's Google X or you know, whether it's Bell Labs you know, or DARPA you know, historically or whatnot, it's like, how do you create organizations that can foster innovation and entrepreneurship mm. and create the right incentive system and incubate these things where you don't have the other parts of the incumbent organization accidentally destroy it mm. or harm these fragile ideas that need time to nurture and become a thing. You know, and I think that's really, really important as tech continues to gobble the world and as there's a lot of consolidation and as there's all these industries which are going to continue to, like new multi-billion dollar or sometimes, you know, maybe trillion dollar industries are going to be continuing to emerge in the 21st century. And so a lot of the companies that exist today aren't going to survive that transition, you know, and I think just like being the incumbent now, it's fascinating to have this other perspective, which is Mm. how do we foster entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship within our own organization and or find ourselves how do we partner with other great entrepreneurs to help them and help grow the business? And, you know, we're finding our way on that stuff too. Really, really interesting stuff. So I, I know you guys have a hard stop. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on again, each of you. This was a pleasure. Um, I think it was a really, really interesting conversation. And Mark, to your point about, you mentioned sort of the service need that you feel. The first time we did a podcast, I walked away and my first thought was like, that guy's going to be president one day, <laughs> which is a whole nother thing. But um, I really thank you guys each for coming on. Um, again, this is great. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope this was as helpful as I hoped it would be. Head over to GetTackleBox.com and click podcast to get some more detailed notes. And if you made it this far, please toss us a subscribe, a rating, and a review. Thanks. Have a great week.